This morning, I feel like it's a good move of ours to go ahead and make some statements and to, uh, to be in agreement of something. I'd also tell you this morning that uh, bear with me a little bit. It is that time of year where sometimes our voices don't uh, behave as they should in that the uh, 16 degree Monday morning followed by the, I believe, 65 degree day today and all of those things in the middle uh, cause us a bit of trouble. So uh, forgive me for having to clear my throat. I realized just a moment ago that singing with the praise and worship group as I was getting ready to come out on stage was probably a bad move on my part because things got more scratchy as I went along and I thought that was a bad move. You know, of all the days, let's not do that today. And so uh, bear with me as we move through that. One of the things I'd like for us to make a kind of a, a generalized statement on so that we're on the same page, and it is very much dealing with Christmas, but not necessarily where we're going for the entire gist of the morning. It's just important for us to recognize. I know, and I shared with some of you on Wednesday night this, this fact, uh, I know that some of you have, have had mixed feelings about the way that we write the word Christmas. We hear the phrase, you know, keep Christ in Christmas. There's no X in Christmas, all those sorts of things. I do want to bring this up because I think it's important, and it will change the way we look at the Christ followers. The word in Greek that we use for Christ is Christos, all right? If you ever, matter of fact, you're welcome to do this. Some of you are still looking at the website right now. I should not have told you, okay? You'll go ahead and use your phone. You can look up Christos in Greek, and you'll notice that the first letter, letter of Christos is the letter Chi. The letter Chi looks like the English X. So if we're going to understand that actually using X for Christ is something that is not only appropriate, but has been appropriate for 2,000 years now, as a matter of fact, you'll find the X written in pieces of artwork or other things that denote Christ as an abbreviation for Christ. And so that, that X, as we see it, is actually the Greek letter for Chi. If we're going to make that kind of understanding, and we understand that X is actually an appropriate abbreviation for Christ, I understand I'm going to write Christmas on everything the full-blown, okay? I understand the sentiment behind not removing Christ from Christmas and all those sorts of things. But I think it's most important because if we recognize that X is Christ, then weren't the disciples the first X-Men? <laughs> yes, now you can all move on with that with Christmas and understand. The first X-Men, actually disciples. That's what we're called to be is X-Men. All right, so there you go. There's a little nugget for you moving forward in Christmas. Now this morning what I want us to do is talk for a little while about the nature of the people who were present during this, <clears throat> excuse me, this nativity. You'll notice when you come in, uh, if you came in through our doors out here, there's a nativity set that sits out front. As a matter of fact, that was passed down uh, from uh, a lady by the name of Emmeline Mitchell. Emmeline Mitchell was the, uh, the matriarch of ECN for a very, very long time. She was the first lady, if you're from some of the churches who celebrate pastors' wives as first ladies. She was the Stephanie Metters years before there was a Stephanie Metters. If you only know ECN with Miss Stephanie, then let me tell you, there's a lady named Miss Emmeline, also known to some of you as Meemaw, who, who came to church here for years and years. And the nativity set that sits out on this uh, credenza in the lobby is actually something that's been passed down from her to ECN after their passing. And when you look at the nativity set, though, normally there are those individuals that you see, and you kind of have pictures in your mind of what these people were. There are folks like, oh, sometimes you have the, the wise men or the shepherds, or sometimes you think of someone like an innkeeper being involved in that picture of, of what does the nativity and what is what were the first people that Jesus was seeing was around him. And we kind of have our images of what those people look like. 
When I think about an innkeeper, I think a friend of mine one time, I remember uh, going on a on a trip with him, we had been out into some gnarly, gnarly back country. Many of you know that I spend uh, some time away, and, and it was one of those years, 10, 12 years ago, we're talking, very early on. We'd gone into an area that did not have water. We'd been way back into the back country. We came back out, and we came back out. My buddy John was so uh, dehydrated. We had been carrying heavy, heavy packs, and we get back to the truck, and John was at that place where he just needed he just needed water and rest. I mean, our our hips had bruises on them from the from the weight we were carrying. And, and so when we get back, we're like, okay, we're going to go and check into a hotel for the night, and we got to go back the next day and get the rest of camp out. And, and when we get to the hotel, I remember thinking that John was an absolute baller. You know what I mean? Like, when I search for hotels... I go through the process of like, who has the best rate? What are the stars? I don't want to pay a fortune for this. I've been in those places before where like a hotel right across the street from it is twice the price. I'm the shopper hotel. How many of you are hotel shoppers? John is a hotel baller. He walks in the front door, walks to the very front, and he goes, I need two rooms with the biggest bed you got. And he puts a piece of plastic on the counter. She looks down and she goes, oh, sir, we can see that you're such and such member. Okay, I'm not a member of anything. You know what I mean? I'm a member of ECN. That's it. That gets you no hotel discounts. This guy stays all over the place. He's like, well, sir, you're the platinum guy or whatever. You know, they're like, okay, we have two rooms for you. Go on up to the to your room. And so we, you know, we get, he swipes the card and we walk up there and John walks in the room as tired as he can be. And I remember him walking the door and he goes, and that drawer over there is a menu. In that menu are two big burgers. You call the front desk, come to bring the two biggest burgers they got. I'm getting in the bathtub. I went, yes, sir. John is like, that's amazing. You know, like, I didn't even know if these things were, were, were possible. You know, I guess he's just like, doesn't care, man. He's just, and when we think about sometimes a picture of what it looks like to stay in an inn or a hotel, we have no real bearing of what Jesus is doing. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't apply. This is not the modern day vacation that you may be thinking about. I love the picture. If you were here over the last couple of weeks, we looked at a modern day rendition of the story of Mary and Joseph. And there was a picture of Joseph as if to be leaning up against a telephone booth, making a phone call, trying to figure out where they were going to stay for the night. And, and, and you have pictures and imagery in your mind that looks like that. And that's just not realistic. As a matter of fact, when you think back about this innkeeper, if you will, a person who was there, a person who was a part of the story, you're probably looking at someone who was more likely doing something that we would consider today a side hustle. Hotels as we see them today, tons and tons of rooms don't exactly exist in Jesus' day. You see, he was probably capitalizing on the amount of people that were coming back to their hometowns for the census, right? When the census was going to take place, they recognized that people are coming in and needing a place to stay, and people were showing up asking for places to stay. And, and probably a picture that's better in your mind for what this looks like is not necessarily the concierge or the front desk at your chosen hotel stay. It's more than likely someone who had an extra room, who maybe have had a couple of extra rooms, a place for people to be able to bed down when they were there. And so when Mary and Joseph arrive, they're just simply looking for someone to be able to stay with, right? They're not exactly checking into a hotel, as you might think. This individual <clears throat> probably more likely resembles a modern uh, Airbnb or VRBO type existence than he does a hotel existence. Yet as you think about him a little bit more, and, and you're like, this guy's the, the, the part that he plays, when people show up and ask for somewhere to stay, 
We sometimes throw the innkeeper under the bus of being like, what a horribly inhospitable person to be able to to say this. I mean, ultimately, when we read about him saying that they can stay in the stable and something that we picture as a a bit of a barn-looking thing, we sometimes throw him under the bus. And and I get it. How many of you have, have done preparation for hosting people at your homes here recently? You've been doing that? We had all out, we, we sent the kids messages early in the week, and it was like, okay, this day, this time, this is house cleaning day. Uh, I, I want to say that it never fails, it never ceases to amaze me, but when it came time for house cleaning day, Logan magically came up sick. <laughs> He's actually not feeling well. He didn't just play at first. We were like, hey, 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 we know that this was cleaning day. How is it now you don't feel well? And then it was very obvious he was not feeling well. So we let him off the hook, all right? But... It was cleaning day. And sometimes when it comes time for cleaning day, you might think like, let's just don't even do it. Let's don't clean so we don't have to house people. You know what I mean? Let's just not do that. You know, and that's not the picture that we have. What we have is an individual who didn't have space to put someone. And yet what he has to offer is, this is all I have. This is all I can give you is this place to stay. It's a dry place. You know, I know that in modern day today, we have an expectation of what staying needs to look like, what our homes need to look like. And and, and we live in a culture that has certain expectations. But the reality is Mary and Joseph are offered by this individual a place to stay that would just keep them dry. I know it's not optimal, but it's what was able to be offered. Something else that should probably be taken into consideration is the way that we picture the manger scene in general this barn or stable type existence. Many of you either have or your neighbors have some form of a barn and you picture that in your mind. We even make pictures in nativities and in in Christmas plays and programs of what it should look like. But, you know, if you were to go back to Bethlehem and see where people were living, where people were doing life, especially the people that Mary and Joseph would be coming into contact with, not the rich, the wealthy, and the elite, they lived in the hill country. So picture this for a minute. They lived in the hill country where many of their dwellings were simply carved out niches within the hills. And more times than not, things were stored or kept, even their their small bit of animals were kept in more of a cave setting than they were a barn as you might picture. So something that's interesting, if you go back to Bethlehem today, you look back at the story and even read some of the historians and even go back today and look at what was the, the setting, the places, and where might have Jesus been born? You read about people who lived in the hill country with these, with these caves kind of carved out to where they live. There's a couple of historians, I think, that are interesting in bringing up. In Bethlehem, there's a place today that marks the cave where Jesus was born, where they expect that Jesus was actually born. And it was more of a, a depression than it was a freestanding barn, as we might picture the Roman emperor Hadrian built a temple to the heathen gods on top of it because he was so frustrated by the Christians who had been claiming that this is where Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews, was to be born. And so in his frustration, he builds a temple to a heathen god over the top of it. Years later, in about 4th century AD, Constantine, the first Roman emperor to be Christian, one who believed in Christ, went and destroyed that temple and built a church on top of it. And it's fascinating to me today that you can still go back and see the remnants of where these things are. Like, so in our, in our minds of what we're picturing, maybe the innkeeper as a man with a house and a barn out back is not as accurate as a man who lived in the hills and kept his stock inside a depression or maybe a hollowed out cave where he could keep them safe from the elements and from everything else. 
And maybe Mary and Joseph found themselves in a place much more like a depression in the hillside than the barn that we pictured. You want me to rock the boat a little bit more? The innkeeper's never mentioned. Go back. There is no innkeeper talked about. What does the Bible actually say? There was no room for them found in the inn. We expect there was somebody to tell them that, okay? But like when we talk and in, in, in go into great detail about an innkeeper who was there, there's really no person pointed toward or person and spouse, or any, it, but we know there must have been somebody. So that's something that we kind of deduce. But I think it's worth mentioning. The innkeeper that we sometimes think about and picture is not actually named or pointed out or even given a speaking role as we read in the story of the, of the, of the nativity, as we would call it. So who are some people that are mentioned more specifically? Well, I'll give you a hint. One of them we label as there being three of them. The three what? Wise men. There you go. So like, let's talk about them. When you think about the three wise men, we also know that they're named Magi, all right? M-A-G-I is a word that's attributed to them. And so you start asking, like, well, who are these individuals? Well, these individuals are guys who are very likely male just because of the context they're in. But they're known as being people who are very wise. Many people believe because of the name that is given them, they're part of the Medes. All right, you'll also research in this and find out that not just Magi, but the M-A-G-U-S is a group of people associated with the Medes. They tried to throw over the Persians and they lost, all right? And when they lost, they became, instead of people who were trying to throw over the Persians, they kind of found their identity in being holy people and wise people, which is why we call them the wise men, all right? So when, they're, when these people are, are holy people, wise people, they're searching for truth, they're searching for wisdom, one of the greatest things that people did in these days, still even today, some people subscribe to this heavily, is that they would look to the stars for direction. So it's heavily believed and heavily assumed and, and kind of expected that the wise men that we talk about, those who, who show up with these gifts, I, I love uh, some of the jokes that come out in this time of year. I love some of the pictures that come out. You know, the, the world of social media is awful in some ways, but it creates some funny stuff. Amen. Like, there's a picture floating around now that has a picture of if the wise men had actually been wise women, they would have shown up with diapers, wipes, and milk. You know what I mean? Like, things that can be used right now. It's fun stuff to think about, right? There's another one out there that has a picture of the, of the uh, <clears throat> three wise men, and one of them's holding gold, one of them's holding frankincense. And then the next one, anybody ever seen the OxyClean commercials? And the statement is, but wait, there's myrrh. Some of you will get it. There you go. All right. So it's a bit of a dad joke, but still, it's there. And so people have fun with these sorts of things, and this is what we kind of picture. But if they are Medes heading from Persia, these wise individuals, there's some things that were taking place that folks who study astrology and astronomy in an incredible uh, detail look back and know that Halley's Comet came through about B.C. 7. And from B.C. 5 to B.C. 2, there were weird astronomical, astronomical uh, phenomenon that were taking place. Uh, they were seeing uh, uh, meteor showers. They were seeing things that looked differently. One of the other things I think that's very intriguing about this when they talk about a star rising and they're, they're seeing this star rise, people, again, not myself, but people who study this, look back at the, at the time frame that they were looking at of when were these individuals been moving. And in the... I'm going to make sure I get the names right. In the Egyptian month of Missouri, M-E-S-O-R-I is how we would put it in English, it is the month of the new prince. It's intriguing. In the month of the new prince, a certain uh, a star began to rise that we call Sirius. Uh, kind of like Sirius XM, okay? 
but they call it Sirius. And, and as, as we now learn about what it is, it's a star that is the brightest because it is 25 times brighter than the sun. It's just so far off that we can't see it as well. Okay, so still you're looking at a star that rises directly in a very specific, it's how they were setting their clock, how they were, not their clock, but their calendar. It rises in the same location, in the same, in this specific direction, every 365.25 uh, days. And when the wise men were seeing all of these things take place and in the timing and in the, the month of a new prince and they're seeing these things, like it is heavily believed that their search for wisdom and truth led them to make a great journey to figure out what was going on in the heavens. Because for them, every time that they saw things taking place in the, in the, in the heavens, it was something to, to see that something was being revealed, that there was truth to be found or something to talk about the future. One of the other things I found that was very interesting is that that same Sirius star when it rises is also known as the dog star, and it represents the first day of the flood season of the Nile and has, has, uh, has created our statement, the dog days of summer. Interesting about it, like these things are all attached. You know what I mean? Like you look back into history and you can see that even in the... In the, in the historians as they write about things, there are things that we read about in Jesus' era that were taking place that start making sense that this is, these people are seeing this thing happen. Something else that contributes to this, a couple of Roman historians and emperors, Vespian writes that during this same time frame, he's a Roman emperor, he writes, there was a strange feeling that men were coming to rule from the east from Judea that they were getting this feeling that something from the east was happening because of what was taking place in the stars. In the same time frame, Tacitus, a Roman historian, writes that Jews were growing in belief that one of theirs was going to rule the inhabitable earth. Like, folks, when you hear of what the wise men are participating in and seeing, like there's this story of there's a lot more going on than they just see some star off in the distance. These men have been looking to the stars for wisdom and for truth They've been doing so in some time frames that are very intriguing, and they're doing things in times that not just the Bible talks about, but even Roman historians in, in, in otherworldly texts that we have talk about the, the things that were taking place being very interesting and very intriguing. And like all of this begins to add to where the story of Jesus is one that it's one that stands outside of normal history. Like the world was seeing something change and something take place that was very, very new. You know, I asked you a minute ago to picture what did the manger look like. And the unfortunate part is the innkeeper's never mentioned, so we can't tell you he's there. When Jesus was born, guess who else wasn't there yet? The wise men. Like they're, they're on a journey arriving there. We expect that the wise men arrive a year, maybe two later, as Jesus is born. Like, think back to what is taking place when Jesus is born, and then after he's born, they find out, and, and the, the, the ruler of the day finds out. He wants all of the babies that are born within a certain age frame. Like, you, you start looking and plugging some of these things in. It's like the wise men absolutely arrived, but I'm not so sure that wise men there at the birth of Jesus is as accurate. But who was? Which figures that we talk about was there very likely, and as we read, very quickly upon the time that Jesus was born. Right? But one left, one group of people anyway, they had a very specific job, they were shepherds. Isn't that weird? 
It's just weird that shepherds would be the ones. I mean, sometimes we picture things like an innkeeper just because of proximity and how we read the story. We expect there was one there. And we read about wise men and we kind of expect them to be there because we know that they brought gifts. But if we're to look at if we're to look at the reality of like who was actually there, it's just fascinating to me that the shepherds were the closest on hand. One of the things that intrigues me about this is, folks, shepherds were not thought of very highly in their day. They were not considered a, a person of great... Well, they definitely weren't holy people. You know why they weren't holy? Because they couldn't be. The way to be holy was to, was to participate in the worship that was taking place in the temple. And if you're going to participate and bring your sacrifices and be a part of that, then you must be ceremonially like clean. Well, guess what you can't be if you have been handling sheep all day? And really, like, you can't... Any of you ever had a stink you just can't wipe off? You know what I mean? Like, something you just can't get rid of. You know, like, folks, these folks are unable to go through the procedures of being ceremonially clean so that they can be a part. As a matter of fact, the Orthodox Jews looked down on them with a sense of disgust because they could never participate in the holy things like everyone else could. To be a shepherd was to be an outcast in the holy things. And now, all of a sudden, it is the shepherds who we read about being here. As a matter of fact... Think with me for just a moment about the, the picture of what's taking place. You see, it's not just that there was maybe an innkeeper somewhere in the area or wise men that were arriving at some point. But think with me for just a moment. When Jesus is born on this earth, who could God not wait to tell? You ever had something happen to you and you're just excited? Who's your go-to person when something really cool happens in your life and you're like, man, this really cool thing happened. I got a job promotion or, hey, I found this thing or like I'm really intrigued in this. Like who are the people you call to talk about the thing that like not many other people really care about? You probably have those friends. I, I had I, I watched a video not long ago I thought was very intriguing. The difference between a 6 a.m. and a 3 a.m. or 6 p.m. and a 3 a.m. friend. Some of you have friends that if you call them at 6 p.m., they're kind of winding down for the day and they'll say, hey, let me talk to you tomorrow. But some of you have those friends that you call at 3 a.m. and they answer the phone and want to know what's going on. Like, how are you? What's happening? You got something cool to tell me because they're that kind of a friend. Like, who is your 3 a.m. friend? That when something happens, even if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you got to call them and tell them. And this is what's wild to me. Who's the 3 a.m. phone call for God when Jesus is born? It's the shepherds. They're the first ones. The ones, the ones that the rest of the Jews saw as never being able to be holy, God saw as the ones who needed to know first. Are you, are you seeing the picture of how God is flipping upside down in the birth of Jesus, how God is flipping upside down some of the ways that maybe even we... When God, when God saw that Jesus was born, when it was, when it was that time and it happened, He couldn't wait to send the angels to tell the shepherds, who could God not imagine this without? It's the shepherds. Folks, when, when God reaches out to the shepherds, it's His show of He is destroying every bit of hierarchy that these people had and who should be there. Who should be there? The wise men. Who should be there? The people of prominence. But who does God want to make sure is going to be there? It is the shepherds. It is the ones who are seen much further down the totem pole. Folks, let me tell you what this morning about the hope of Christ, about the hope of the birth of Jesus. It does not matter this morning how you see yourself. 
how you see yourself in the picture of what God sees, it is that God sees the lowly, the ones who think the least of themselves as the most important. The ones that, that He wants to be a part of His story. And so this morning, I think it's fitting, we'll read their story. Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Could it be that shepherds were the first X-Men? I said earlier it was the disciples. No, the shepherds were. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. If there were anything this morning that we would leave from this place after studying the shepherds, one, what an honor to be called by God to come and be a part of, to be a witness to and to see, but then to be sent from that place to tell other people about what they've seen, to know that no matter how the world around them sees them or what their esteem of themselves is or any of those sorts of dynamics, to recognize that even those seen as not being able to be holy were the ones that Jesus, the ones that God called out to to say, I'm doing something awesome. And when I'm doing something awesome, I want you to go and tell everyone about it. Folks, that means there's not a person in this room who doesn't leave here this morning wanting to be a shepherd. Amen? Amen. Not a person in this room who doesn't recognize themselves. And you may have walked into this place seeing yourself as, as not being able to be holy like someone else that you've seen as holy or someone else that you perceive to be super holy. This throws that completely out the window. As a matter of fact, you may have walked in feeling like a shepherd, but this morning you get the chance to walk back out of these doors realizing that you are God's X-Men. <laughs> no pun intended, but seriously, you are the ones that God uses to tell other people about the story. God, we come before you this morning thanking you for a chance to be able to look back at those who were around during the time of the birth of Jesus. God, this morning we most closely relate to being shepherds. God, those who Jesus sent with specific intent, who God sent with specific intent to know that Jesus the Messiah is born. So God, this morning would you send us back out into this world God, to tell the story, to tell what we've seen, what we know of how there's one who forgives our sins and one who makes it possible for us to be able to find everlasting peace with the Heavenly Father. We love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And you are dismissed. Have a great Sunday afternoon.